welcome to the Between the Mics podcast. I'm your host, Ty Ferguson, and joining me today, making his return to the podcast, is Austin Smith. So, Austin. Good to be back. Yeah, happy to have you back, man. We're coming to you tonight to break down this past weekend's big win against Auburn and the Deep South's oldest rivalry and to look forward to this upcoming matchup in between the hedges in Sanford Stadium against the Kentucky Wildcats, who all of a sudden um, look like a pretty imposing team, unlike teams in the past for Kentucky. So just to dive right into it, another dominant win for the Dogs last Saturday, um, covering another spread. We ended up closing out the Auburn game with a 34-10 to victory. Um, really impressive in all facets. The red zone defense was really impressive. The run game continued to improve. We made some explosive plays down the field. Lad McConkey just having a breakout game, uh, proving that he was a huge recruiting win for Georgia. All in all, it was a very successful trip to Jordan-Hare Stadium, a place that, I mean, Georgia fans especially know can be very, very imposing to play in, um, very tough to play in. We've lost some heartbreaking games there and definitely had our fair share of close wins. So um, definitely good to go into a very hostile environment like Auburn and come out with such a lopsided victory like we did. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, going in, you could tell on paper that we had a huge uh, advantage in skill, and I think that showed in the spread. But you're still nervous anytime you go into an atmosphere uh, like the one that they have at Jordan Hare, and you know that that can be a difference maker, especially yeah. if it's close at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That can become more of a factor. And uh, getting to, we have a relatively young team, uh, especially when you consider the fact that none of these guys really played in packed stadiums last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like this might have been their first true, like, hostile environment that they've played in. Yeah. I mean, because the game against Clemson was probably 50 50. Uh, or something close to that, mm-hmm. and uh, our other away games so far this season just you know don't kind of pack quite the punches what Jordan Hare does. Yeah. Um, so it was exciting to see them, you know, kind of withstand that first initial push that Auburn mm-hmm. gave on that first drive. Auburn kind of marched right down the field, uh, but then we had amazing, like you said, red zone defense. Felt like that was really one of the keys to the game. Yeah. Because uh, Auburn actually did move the ball some on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were very good in the red zone, and I think that painted a picture of a bigger blowout than what the game actually was. You know, Kirby touched on that, and you often hear coaches say that, but I would say we were in control the entire time, but it never, mm-hmm. it didn't quite feel as dominant as what some of our other performances has, uh, have, and that might be uh, a greater indicator of how dominant we've looked earlier in this season yeah. rather than an indictment of the win against Auburn. But just, uh, it just didn't feel as dominant and that's okay Auburn's probably the best offense that we've played so far and they have by far the most dynamic QB we've played so far Uh, and it was uh, really cool to see that the way that they played Bo Nix too you could tell that you know the first five games of the season we were going all out for the QB even against Arkansas who has a very mobile QB but you could tell like that they had preached for them to not break contain against Bo Nix they were really trying to keep him in the pocket and be, as Kirby likes to say, patient, but mm-hmm. aggressive. Yeah. And I feel like they did a really good job of that uh, this past weekend. And, like, going after him, but not going out after him to such an extent that you allow him to rip off a, 
a 12 to 15 yard run. I think we really kept him from making the bowed any plays that mm-hmm. he's prone to make. Yeah, absolutely. I do think um, when you look at our defense, especially against the way that we were able to get after Bo Nix, I think it was a very, like you said, a very patient pass rush. Um, the sacks that we did end up getting were sacks that we just got by benefit of Bo, I think, just trying to make the extra play. I think he felt the rush a few times. He knew the type of defense, the type of defensive line and front seven he was going against that we've got. I mean, he was giving it three Mississippi counts and taking off running. So, I mean, we were able to get him a few times and big losses that he just, I mean, he just ran around back there long enough that we were able to catch him. So, like you said, though, they were able to move the ball consistently at periods of the time. Um, Demetrius Robertson, actually former Georgia receiver, I think he caught more balls for them on sun, on Saturday than he did for maybe his entire career at Georgia. Um, he was making plays all over the field, which I guess you have to you have to think that in a game like that, playing against your former teammates, that he he had a little bit of extra motivation. But I think to me, the most impressive point in that game was when we were up twenty-seven to ten, late in, midway through the fourth quarter. Kind of already had the game wrapped up. They punted the ball back to us, and I think we got it around the forty. And we went 10 plays, 60 yards, nothing but runs, and shoved it down their throat for five or six yards of carry. And I think that was the most impressive that we looked in the entire game on Saturday. Offensive line just getting pushed up front, running backs running hard. I think when you have a team that knows it's time to run the football, the defense knows we're running the football, and everyone in the crowd knows what's coming, and you're able to pop off five and six yards of carry, that's really, really impressive. And it just shows a test, a testament to the growth that we've had up front at offensive line, even with Jamari Salyer going out midway through the second quarter. I mean, Broderick Jones stepped in, and you wouldn't even – we didn't skip a beat. So definitely really impressive to see that. I feel like our uh, running game was the most impressive uh, aspect of our team this past weekend. Just – you know, we kind of discussed earlier on in the year that our rushing attack hadn't really felt like it had been quite as elite as it has in years past. Uh, we opened up the season. Obviously, we played Clemson, who has uh, a very dominant defense. Uh, probably them or Iowa or Wisconsin have the best defense outside of us uh, this year. And... Uh, so we didn't have a great rushing attack in that first game. And then our next few games, we really threw the ball a lot more than yeah. we ran it. Uh, but, yeah, so we had four guys this past weekend average over four yards carry. Uh, Zamir averaged 4.4, Milton 4.8, Cook 5, and uh, Stetson uh, ran at 6.8 uh, yeah. clip. Uh, so it was just really impressive to see us run that well against – what's actually one of the better D lines in the uh, entire mm-hmm. SEC and in the entire country. Uh, and I think that's re- that was really big for us, not only because it established the run, but also because it made our passing game so effective. I think Stetson in uh, his play, which has been great uh, in JT's absence, uh, can really be due to his efficiency off of play action. Uh, yeah. I feel like he's much better play action QB than he is uh, just like a three- or five-step drop QB. Um, and I think that his mobility adds an element to that too Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I just really think us being able to establish 
the run uh, just really helped him as well have a good game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look. We had the, we had two deep shots we hit to Lad McConkey, who's like I've said has just been the breakout story of the year to this point. Our second leading receiver. Yeah, first one was a little underthrown. Second one was a yeah. really good pass I off mean, a double move by Lad. Absolutely. So, I mean, definitely Stetson's been playing good with the play action aspect, and like you mentioned, I mean, having running backs who can churn out five five and six yards of carry, I mean, they're gonna bite on play action when you can when they know that you're gashing them up front. So. All in all, a just a really solid performance on the road, going into a hostile environment, coming out with a 24-point win, always huge. Another dominant, dominant performance on defense, holding them to 1.6 yards per carry when they had a running back coming in and Jarquez Hunter, who was averaging seven, and like we, like Derek and I talked about last week, probably the top running back in the SEC with Tank Bigsby, holding him to just 2.8 did score a touchdown but it was later in the third quarter when the game was already in hand so yeah and one one quick thing about the offense before we kind of transitioned out of the defense look was i've just been so impressed i mean and, i mean my the way i feel doesn't really have any bearing on how well this person is actually doing their job but just from a mm-hmm. personal standpoint the job that todd munkin has done uh in these past two seasons but particularly this year just you can see the different game plan that he has for Stetson when he's in, and the different game plan when JT's in, and I just I think that can be so commendable because all these guys are really elite offensive minds, but mm-hmm. some of them can be very stubborn in their system and how they want to play. And like I'm an air raid guy, or I like to establish the run, and they can be like even guys in the NFL can really stick to what they want to do, no matter who's lining up, and. Todd Munkin doesn't really seem to have that sort of ego trip. He yeah. uh, makes his game plan revolve around the skill set of his players, yeah. and I just I've loved that. I think he's done a phenomenal job in every game. Uh, he's probably my favorite offensive coordinator uh, since I've been a fan. Mm-hmm. And I just think he does a really really good job. Yeah, he. One thing I've noticed that he does the best, like you said, he makes the offense work best for the players that he has. I mean, obviously, if we, if we have George Pickens, he's going to have a lot of deep shots. Um, Lad McConkey's best at in-and-out routes, getting open because he's so fast. He runs, a, I think, a 22-mile-an-hour is what some people have said he's been clocked at. So just the fact that we've had so many injuries at the wide receiving core, that we've been switching offensive linemen in and out, trying to find the right pieces of the puzzle to make that be, be the most cohesive unit we can find. The fact that our preseason Heisman top five finalist has been out with a lat injury the last two weeks and Stetson's been coming in and hasn't skipped a beat. I think that shows the really, really big signs of just a great offensive mind. Yeah, and, I mean, and like, you know, the plays he's calling for Stetson are completely different than the type of plays we were running mm-hmm. when JT was QB. Like, you know, we have designed draws. We're throwing in RPOs, things that we would never do with JT back there. And then with JT, you have like this whole route tree that I feel like Stetson for, you know, as good as he is, he just can't make some of the throws that J- I feel that J.D. can. Uh, and certainly not as with as much zip or uh, as much of a vertical aspect as J.T. Mm-hmm. So it's just been impressive to see how, with the two different uh, guys behind center, the game plan he has for one and the game plan he has for the other. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And kind of just flipping over to our defense, I don't know what can be said about our defense that hasn't already been said already. Um, to this point in the season, they've only given up 33 points total. Um, that's an average of 5.5. Um, currently, Georgia is outscoring the six opponents that we've played to this point, 239 to 33. I mean, it's been, it's been domination every single week. Well, not only that, I mean, our defense is outscoring, in terms of touchdowns, our opponents. Mm-hmm. Well, or they're tied. It's two touchdowns for our defense versus two touchdowns for every single opponent we've played combined. Yeah. Um, so that's... Only giving up 201 yards per game. I mean, it, to this point in the season, it is a historical start for our defense. We're getting closer and closer to the halfway point of the season. And, I mean, you have to talk about this defense as one of the all-time greats in college football. Well, just a few numbers on that. So, if you ask around, uh, you dig into it, since uh, about the 2000-year mark, uh, there's been a general consensus on what the best defense of all time is. Most people say the 2011 Alabama team. Some might throw throw out one of the other Bama teams. And, you know, they all shared one thing in common. It was when Kirby was uh, the D.C. there. Uh, and so I got some interesting stats from this uh, 538 article that came out the other day. So, like you said, we're averaging 5.5 uh, points per game allowed for our defense. That would be the fewest this century uh, ahead of that 2011 Bama team, which allowed 8.15. Uh, and that uh, is also consistent once you get rid of uh, like non-power five teams. We're still leading in that category by three points once again with that second team being that 2011 Alabama team. So as far as yards per play, we're uh, we're allowing 3.56, which would be third this century behind that same 2011 Alabama team. And then what I believe was uh, an NC State uh, defense sometime in the early 2000s. Interestingly enough, uh, Iowa's defense would also rank in the top five this century in that category as well. Uh, and here's just something else that just speaks to, I feel like, that uh, what Kirby talks about with being patient but aggressive nature that he wants our defense to play with. We're blitzing on only 18.8% of uh, defensive snaps this year, which mm-hmm. is by far the fewest of Kirby Smart's uh, error as our head coach. Uh, and we're getting sacks on what I believe is over 18% of dropbacks, which would be the highest under Kirby. So we're blitzing the least that we have since Kirby's become our head coach, but we're getting sacks at the highest clip that we have since Kirby's become our head coach. So part of that's just because we've got so many dudes. Yeah. Dude, but, dudes is a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, just so many elite guys. But they're just getting so comfortable in Kirby's scheme, and I feel like it's not that complex of a scheme, so they're allowed to just you know kind of pin their ears back yeah. uh, and get after it. And yeah. we have so many guys like Jordan Davis. Everybody talks about him, and he's definitely very commendable. And he everything starts with him because, I mean, he knocks the center on on his butt like right off the bat. But a lot of times he is taking those two guys, but Devontae White and Jalen Carter are feasting off of his dominance. And then all of our linebackers, uh, when they do blitz, it feels like they're back there in a second. And mm-hmm. then they're just exploding off the side on the edges on these runs. 
And we were so nervous about our secondary going into the year, and it has been elite. Yeah, number one in the number one in the country in pass yards given up per game. Yeah, and in uh, passing efficiency, mm-hmm. and you know part of that does have something to do with how dominant our rush has been, but part of that's just them being good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we knew coming into the season that we had Darion Kendrick, who was going to come in every single week and be able to lock up somebody's number one. Um, we knew that Keely Ringo had the potential, and he's quickly showing it in six games. He's getting better every single week. Breeny's been awesome. Breeny's been Breeny has turned into an absolute star at the star position. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Smith has been great. Lewis Seen has been great. It's the guys are playing above their potential. They're growing into players that we foresaw them growing into when you look at their star rankings coming out of high school. Tyke Smith, (laughs) the All-American that he's barely played because he can't see the field because Breeny has played so well. It's it's absolutely remarkable to think about. I feel like he may see the field more this week with Chris Smith being out. Mm-hmm. And there might be some stuff in there. And Dan Jackson, the w- former walk-on, just all these guys are the pro- all these guys are producing for our defense. And you you look at all we've heard for the last X amount of years since Kirby Smart's been our head coach is oh well how Georgia has the number one recruiting class like how are they losing these games? Georgia's been number one, but they're going to lose the well the num- for Kirby Smart's first number one recruiting class. The guys that made that class are now seniors on this team. So the current Georgia Bulldogs football team is made up of three number one overall recruiting classes and number and then the number two overall class. This team is elite from top to bottom. It's got depth at every single position. And so it helps, you know, we're getting all these five-star studs, but we're also hitting on the guys who aren't. Yeah. Like Jordan Davis, three-star. Mm-hmm. Ladd McConkie, what, two-star? Yeah. Three, two, Bowers three. was a four-star. Four like, yeah. we're getting these five-stars, but we're also hitting on these guys who other guys aren't seeing the talent in that our scouts and our coaches are seeing the talent in and saying, yeah. hey, there's a spot for you at Georgia. We know you can play, and they're hitting on it. Yeah, and Kirby Smart always talks about it. We, he gets asked these questions when talking about recruiting about, well, what do you – like, all, you get all these five-stars, but – Kirby, I mean, they don't really grade off of that. They grade off their own curriculum. They look at, they scout players based off their need, what they see. And I mean, it's obviously shown to be a very successful formula for this point to Georgia based off just the guys year in and year out, the unsung heroes of the team that always seem to produce for Georgia. It's it's been an outstanding start to the season. I couldn't be more excited about where we are right now. I mean, we're number one in the country. It can't. I, I don't see how it could be any better than what it's been so far. Yeah. But I mean, it definitely has been. And then we've got you know number. Uh, what is Kentucky coming in? Number eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Coming in, also undefeated. Yeah. Coming in for the, like the battle for the SEC East. Uh, I don't think it's too early to say that Florida already has yeah. two losses. Yeah. So it's it's us and them. Yeah. That's. And I feel like that's pretty clear in. Uh, I'm very excited for this because Kentucky is what I feel like is kind of like built in a Georgia light kind of yeah. fashion. Uh, very similar principles. Uh, like to run the ball down your throat. Play very physical on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, very elite defense. Uh, I feel like he, Coach Smart and Stoops are pretty similar in their mm-hmm. demeanors in the way that they coach. Uh, 
yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, I'm super, super pumped. I can't wait. We're Me and you, we're both going to be back between the hedges on Saturday. Uh, college game days in town. SEC Nations in town. So you know anytime you have those those big pregame shows that are going to be on television, it's going to get all eyes on you. Everybody in America that's watching game day on Saturday mornings, it's the premier game. It's the premier pregame show for college football. So any game they go at automatically adds that extra bit of flavor. Um, it's the first time in since the SEC split into two divisions that two teams in the SEC East are meeting this late into the season undefeated with both Kentucky and Georgia being undefeated. It kind of shocked me that some of those Florida games in the mid two thousands or uh, early 2010s that we never met Florida undefeated. Well, I feel like um, we were very good at blowing the game early in the season. But nevertheless, this game is the first 6-0 and versus 6-0 and or better SEC East matchup. I'm really excited to be between the hedges. I think it's going to be another awesome environment similar to what the Arkansas game was. Um, to just, just diving right in, you kind of led the way right there just talking about it. Kentucky built in a similar fashion. They're they're big up front. They play strong defense. They want to f- run the football. They don't want to hurt themselves. They don't want to beat themselves. Um, the one thing that's kind of held them back in years past, they've had a few successful seasons. They finished runner-up in the SEC East uh, two years ago when we beat them up in Lexington. Um, they have They did... They think they finally may have found a good option at quarterback. They got the Penn State transfer, Will Levis. Um, So far this season, he's thrown for 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns. He has thrown six interceptions to this point in the year. So it's kind of been an up-and-down season for Will Levis. Um, They do, like we said. He does have a mobile component, too. He's he's attempted, uh, or he's ran 40 times this year, 163 yards and three touchdowns. But definitely what they want to do, the way that their team is built, is they want to run the football. Um, They've rushed for almost 1,300 yards on the season. Um, They're led by all-SEC running back Chris Rodriguez Jr. Um, To this point in the season, he's already rushed for 768 yards on 120 attempts. Um, That comes out to be over six yards per carry. Yeah, almost six and a half. So that's definitely their bell cow. That's who they want their offense to run through. They want to be three yards on first down, three yards on second down. They want to be playing in that third and four range just like everyone else in the country, but even more so at Kentucky. That's what they're made of. They're not made to play third and tens. They're not made to play those third and eights. Well, yeah, and their backup, Kavosi Smoke, I mean, he's averaging almost six yards a clip too. Yeah. And like I said, Will Levis has a mobile component to him as well. He's averaging over four yards when he attempts to run. So yeah. far this year, they've they've ran the ball 230 times versus 142 pass attempts. So it's definitely lopsided yeah. in the rushing uh, department. And so you have to think, if you shut down the running game for Kentucky, that's the simple way to beat them. Uh, once again, I feel like Will Levis uh, definitely benefits, well, obviously benefits from how elite the rushing attack has been this year. Uh, and that's shown in his play-action numbers. And so if you take that away from them and then they're having to throw the ball for three quarters when they're used to running the ball down people's throat, that's going to be the simple recipe on how to win that game. And I'm not saying anything that's a secret, but that's just that's going to be the way that you have to beat this team, shut mm-hmm. down their running game, and then us running the ball down their throat, control the time of possession. It's probably not going to be the previous game that we have 
uh, this season, just like it wasn't last season, just like it wasn't the year before. No, it so never it's is. It's a physical game with mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I think it's because that's what Kirby's game plan is when playing them. Shut down the run, control the line of scrimmage, control the ball, get out of there with a win. Yeah. Um, they do have one um, alpha-type player at receiver, um, Wandale Robinson. He's currently leading them with 527 yards on the season receiving, 37 catches and four touchdowns. Um, he's definitely the guy they want to get the ball to. They want to try to get him the ball in creative ways, jet sweeps, screens, passes over the middle. They'll throw a deep ball to him just with his electric speed. He was probably the highest rated player on Kentucky's team. It was a four-star athlete coming out of uh, Western Hills in Frankfort, Kentucky. So he's right there in the state of Kentucky. Went to Nebraska out of high school, but ended up transferring in this year to play for the Kentucky Wildcats. So definitely a huge get for them. He's paid off for them. He's definitely um, Will Levis's favorite target with over half of Levis's passing yards of the season going to him. So it's definitely a player George is going to want to key in on. Definitely know where he's at on the field at all times. Um, I see this, like you said, it's going to be a really physical game. Um, They're going to try to take the air out of the ball. They're going to try to shorten the game just because Kentucky knows that they're they're overmatched probably physically in this game. Um, Our guys just, we know it is what it is, you know. So I, I do see it as being kind of close there in the first half. I see us, of course, like we always do, shutting down an opposing running game, just choking the life out of an offense. We're going to make Will Levis get into those third and longs and try to beat us through the air. I think we're going to be able to get after him and maybe force a few turnovers. I'm thinking he probably throws us two interceptions on Saturday, uh, maybe force a fumble. I, I, I do see this being as another – it ends up being another lopsided win, but probably similar to the Auburn game in the sense of if you truly watch the game and analyze it like we like we will, I, I do think it'll be closer than the score ultimately will show. But I do think that we end up pulling away late just because I think we hit a few explosive plays on offense. Lad McConkey has another great game. Um, I do I do want to go out on a limb and say I think personally that we will see JT Daniels return in some capacity for Georgia this week. Um, definitely fingers crossed there. So that's the way I see it. I do I just think. Uh, when it all comes down to it, I think we're just going to be too much. I, I agree. I just don't see how this one-dimensional of an offense is going to be the type of team that uh, finally gets through on this elite defense that we have. Like like we said, an all-time defense, perhaps the all-time defense of the twentieth uh, or the twenty-first century. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that you can be this type of ground and pound one-dimensional offense, everything runs through your running game, and then uh, for your play-action pass, I just don't see that being the type of team that finally scores two touchdowns against Georgia. I would be amazed if they score more than one. Uh, I think it'll probably end up being some sort of 27-7 to ball game. Yeah. So would that, would that do it? Um, I do have us covering the spread. Right now the spread's covered at 21-and-a-half in Georgia's favor. I, I see this being somewhere in that 38 to 38 to 10, 35 to 10 range. I think we we're going to probably score late in the game to get a backdoor cover. So with your score, what was it, 34 to 10? You said 30, 27 to 10. So 27 to 7. 
27 7. You're nowhere near. I'm nowhere close <laughs> to it. So that would not be a cover. Uh, well, let me think on it for a second. <laughs> I don't see them scoring more than one touchdown. I'd be yeah. amazed. I think mm-hmm. Auburn has more dynamic offense than they mm-hmm. do. Uh, and we were able to shut down Auburn. Uh, although that was partly due to just how good of a red zone defense uh, or how good our red zone defense was in that ball game. And I don't think that that's always uh, the easiest to duplicate, although mm-hmm. I do think that you can establish a trend for being a really elite uh, red zone defense. I think sometimes that can kind of come down more to how the offense executes in that area uh, rather than how your defense executes, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Um, I'm going to say... Yeah, I'll stick with my guns. I'll say twenty-seven to seven, somewhere okay. in there. I'm. Re- I think Vegas really did a good job with this line. I think, uh, like, I'm just feeling like we're going to score somewhere in the high twenties, low thirties. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say that. You know what? I'll actually say that we cover just barely. Okay, there we go. So we both got a Georgia cover this week. Um, no surprise there, right? But getting into the rest of the spreads, we both got Georgia covering, both got a happy, happy time between the hedges on Saturday. So getting into the rest of our spreads and our picks for this week. Um, currently, I'm sitting at 30 and 22 on the season, so I'm over 500. Um, Looking good. So that's, start making these on FanDuel. That's always good. So got to get. Parlays, just individual games. Yeah, just got to get some more action going on FanDuel so I can actually turn these picks into some actual money. So. Pick so, on my last three. <laughs> there you go. So looking at the opener for SEC play on Saturday, we've got the Florida Gators at LSU. Florida is favored by minus 11 and a half. Um, LSU. Yeah, LSU's completely fallen off the rails. Uh, Derek Stingley, he's out for the distant future. Eli Ricks, their other All-American corner, out for the season. I don't think Coach O makes it through the end of the season. And I think Florida's going to come into Tiger Stadium with a chip on their shoulder because this game right here, they shouldn't have lost to him last year. Obviously, the infamous shoe game. Uh, so... I think Florida covers easy against yeah, LSU. Yeah, I see this being a pretty big blowout. Honestly, I'm surprised if the line is not bigger. Uh, didn't hesitate on this one. as soon as you told me. Wrote it down. Just as I was writing the uh, down the line, I was just already writing Florida out next to it. <laughs> like, it was like there was no pause in my head. <laughs> so yeah, definitely both riding on Florida this week. Next up, we've got A and M at Missouri. Um, A&M obviously coming off just the upset of the season to this point, knocking off Alabama. Loved to see it last Saturday. The only thing that scares me about this one is will A&M come in, coming off that big upset and not be prepared for Missouri. Missouri can score points, but we also know that they give up a lot of points. I'm going to count on A&M's talent just being too much for Missouri. I'm picking A&M but it's not one that I feel super great about, and I'm probably going to steer clear of it on Saturday when I'm actually putting some bets together on these games. So in Missouri's last four games, here's what they've allowed. They allowed 35 points to North Texas, Mm -hmm. 62 points to Tennessee, 41 points to Boston College, and 28 to Southeast Missouri State. Okay. I'm going to say that A&M covers this, and once again, I do not think that it will be close. 
So next on the docket, we got Auburn versus Arkansas. Arkansas favored by four and a half. Just it's incredible that they've gone from what they were last year to, or what they were two years ago to being competitive last year to now they're being favored against Auburn. I yeah. just think that's incredible. Sam Pittman's doing a great job there. there. Uh, I'm going to say that I really struggled with this one more than any of the other games uh, that we have on the docket this week. Uh, but I'm going to say that Arkansas uh, gets – Gets the cover in this weekend. Yeah, Arkansas is coming off of two tough losses. Obviously, they played us, um, and then they played Ole Miss last week, which is just a great game. Um, I think they're going to beat Ar- or Auburn. I think Arkansas will cover the four and a half at home against Auburn. And on, like on this one, I could see it being double digits. Honestly, I really oh, like really? I really okay. like Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, and I do think Auburn could come out demoralized mm-hmm. after a blowout loss against us i think that is kind of that does tend to happen sometimes yeah absolutely next up uh we won't won't dig too long into this one vanderbilt out south carolina south carolina is favored by minus 18 and a half i've got south carolina on the cover yeah i mean with south carolina being so bad it feels so weird to see such a big line but i mean You'd have to be approaching something close to thirty for a line for against Vandy for me not to pick the other team. Yeah, so at least <laughs> I'm gonna go the same as you and uh, pick South Carolina on this just because you can't see number two big yeah. against Vandy. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, we've got Alabama coming off a loss against A&M last week, going to Starkville to play Mississippi State. Alabama's favored by minus seven and a half. How you feel about that one? Uh, I would not want to be the team that plays Alabama and Nick Saban after a loss. Uh, I think this we've been week, that team. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> been that team. I've seen it up close. It is brutal, and I think that this will be brutal. Yeah, absolutely. Alabama big over Mississippi State. They're going to come in pissed off. They didn't play well on defense at all against A and M last week, which just tells me that they're going to play really good on defense this week. <laughs> Alabama really, really big. Of course, if we were going off common opponent, they beat Texas A&M two weeks ago, and Alabama lost to – but I would not go off that. I think, I think our friend Derek likes to call that the triangle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, next up, final game on the docket, Saturday night underneath the lights in Neyland Stadium. We've got Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin going into Neyland Stadium to take on the Volunteers. Yeah. I think it's – Super exciting game. Yeah, I think it's, it's the one I think I'm the most excited to watch in terms of just pure enjoyment all day. Um, Ole Miss is favored by two and a half points. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Tennessee has been, honestly, maybe the surprise team of the SEC so far this season, other than Kentucky. Tennessee, Tennessee, I just did not expect to be this good, or as good as they have been. I do think their schedule is about to get a lot tougher. Their next four games are uh, Ole Miss this weekend, Alabama next, then they play Kentucky, and then they play us. So they're, we're really about to find out what they're made of. Um, I've got Ole Miss covering in this one just because I think Ole Miss's offense is going to be too much for that Tennessee defense to stop. Yeah, I'm, I want to say Ole Miss uh, uh, covers this weekend. And I do think that Tennessee is vastly improved. Mm-hmm. I think that their offense is hitting stride since they've made the like permanent QB switch. Uh, and going away from Milton. Uh, they're finally hitting their deep shots. But let's add in a dose of humility mm-hmm. into this. These last two, like, dominant 
offensive performances have been against Missouri, mm-hmm. which essentially just has caution cones out there on defense yeah. that people are just <laughs> blowing by. And then South Carolina. Yeah. Also horrific on defense. Mm-hmm. Not saying that Tennessee's offense is great, but I would just like to see it against a higher caliber of opponent. Uh, when we saw it against Florida, it was 38-14. to I do think that they've improved since then, but I don't think that they're going to be operating in that 62 points like they had against Missouri range that yeah. often. Uh, I think that these next four games, like you said, are going to offer a real dose of uh, humility. If I'm being honest, I think they're going to go 0-4 yeah. in the games, maybe 1-3 at best. Um, but I don't think it's going to be this weekend yeah. uh, with Ole Miss. I think uh, that Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points on them. Um, I can see it getting into the, the 60s on their end. Oh, okay. Wow. So – Definitely, you feel very confident in the Rebels on Saturday night. But, yeah, I could see it. So, I think uh, I think we had similar picks all the way around this week. So Yeah, I don't think we differed at all. So, hopefully we both do pretty well. Um, hopefully we can <laughs> see, see how it goes. But with that being said, that is going to do it for another episode of the Between the Mics podcast. Um, obviously, next week we've got a much-needed bye week for the Dogs. Hopefully we can get a few players healthy. Um and then we know what comes next. We get the cocktail party in Jacksonville. Uh, hopefully with some healthy receivers. Hopefully with some healthy receivers, a healthy quarterback, um, a rejuvenated defense coming off of a, a week of no game. So we've got a lot of pent-up frustration about last year's game, the way the cocktail party went last year. So definitely looking forward to getting down there to Jacksonville and playing the Gators. Um, but with that being said, that's going to do it for today. As always, go dogs. Go dogs.